flip side, I'm Galen Clavio. Brian Moritz is also a member, a co-founder, a co-star of the <laughs> flip side. Uh, if I had my choice, and if this was a television show, when they did the opening montage with the credits, we would both appear side by side. Uh, kind of like, kind of like Perfect Strangers style. Yeah, is that basic. Although now that I think about it, we're that like. Who was who was the first person in the credits on Perfect Strangers? Was it was it the guy that played Larry or was it Bronson Pinchot? It would probably be the guy who like played Larry because if you think about thematically, you got the American. He's kind of like the focal piece, and then Balky comes on as kind of like the the, the, the like one A of the deal. Was, um, there, was there a worse like central character in an '80s sitcom than Larry from Perfect Strangers? Like he was really a weak ass character. Like there was nothing redeeming about him whatsoever. Like yeah, if it, I mean, he was completely there just to be the foil for for, for Balky. He was one of the best characters of the '80s. I agree. Um, okay, okay, this is this. We might have to think on this one. This is pretty good. So. Yeah, think think about it and come back to it. I was right. I was also thinking from a credit perspective. What was better, like the one where they like had the stars first and then kind of went in descending order, or the Dallas version where they did an alphabetical order from the start? Okay. I, I, I always, always like, like you know, where the, where, however you have it, but when you have like the people look at the camera and like laugh, like they not like, like they're doing working in the yard, like the yeah, girls doing their homework and she looks up at the camera and does a little fake smile like that. Um, I always appreciated that from a good eighties, from a good eighties. Early 90s you know, I, I laugh sometimes about, like, I listen to Frank Zappa's music, and it's just, like, it's so, like, patently obvious with Frank Zappa's lyrics, like, the level of contempt he held the rest of the human race in. And, <laughs> and you know, I think about 80s sitcoms, uh, and, God, the, the people that produced and wrote those shows held the human race in, like, similar degrees of contempt. Like, they, they must have just thought we were absolutely, like, drooling, blathering morons. They, they, I mean, think of some of the, the premises you had. I mean, you had, you had Perfect Strangers, which is, you know, wet blanket, normal, bland, 80s dude, meets up with random, basically Yakov Smirnoff ripoff guy from, was he from Mikos? Mipos? Mipos, he was Greek, Mipos. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, with, with the sheep. And so the entire premise of the show is that this guy comes from Greece, has never heard anything about America or what a country. Well, you had Alf. Let's, let's think on Alf for a second, the, the, the whole premise of that show. Um, Alf, I mean, yeah, Alf, Alf's premise, it was like... Uh, it, you would have been offended if, with like Harry and the Hendersons, if the Alf premise hadn't already been like a ripoff of a bunch of other things. Like, yeah, oh, the, Harry and the Hendersons—that's that's classic. That's yeah. fantastic too. Um, no, you're right. I mean, the, the premises of a lot of those shows, a lot of them didn't make any sense. Like, the, the, what was what the hell was the premise of Family Ties exactly? Like, oh no, I well, I think <laughs> Family Ties. Now, now I'm going on a memory bank on this one. one. Is it was the two hippie parents? Well, right, and they had the really arch conservative, and they had the really rich, the really rich Reagan son. But I don't know what, what, where the other two kids came in and that came in and came in. Like I mean, um, and I mean, and I mean, then Growing Pains, which was basically just family ties without the hippie. Right. It was the it was it was it was. Family ties with Leo DiCaprio in a later role or in a, something in like that. In a much, much, much later role. Yes. Was Kurt Cameron before he, you know, or during while he, I don't know the, the whole. I don't really know Kurt Cameron's faith journey, the dates of that well enough to, to speak. I, if, all if I, it was all in before. All, all I know is that it, it culminated in the banana thing, and it, it, if you don't know what I, you know, what I'm talking about, right? Where. Okay. Kirk Cam- I think it was a video where like Kirk Cameron is is trying to explain 
the uh, the proof of the existence of, of God, and he uses the banana as as an example of, of how things aren't going through evolution because you know God oh, Kirk Cameron and bananas God God had created this perfect fruit that was absolutely like made for the human hand and was easily eaten and all of this. Uh, it was it was it was an yeah anyway it was anyway well, that's that's off topic um but remember there was there was a but there was a line that went straight from growing pains to the banana video was there okay yeah. I, i've never actually seen the banana video it's, until, it's out it's out there I, i've YouTube. got a link for show notes don't worry about that youtube is your friend uh beer yes. what's your beer tonight all right, so I, 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 I've got a whole thing with the beers tonight. So, um, I let my, so this, this is going to be one of the more embarrassing picks of beer picks of the flip side history. This is Shot Top Belgian White. Okay. Um, and yes, I know it's fake. The, the fake craft beer. I get that. We got it over the weekend. My lovely wife, who's upstairs doing some work right now, um, has been. Uh, she has picked a beer this time. My wife has excellent beer taste, but she also knows what she likes, and she wanted, and she likes Shot Top. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Perfectly serviceable beer. The reason I saved one for the flip side is because on the, on, the, on the neck label, there are actually pouring instructions for how to best enjoy Shock Top. I see. Now, as, you, as most, of, most listeners of the show know, Shock Top is owned, completely owned and operated by Anheuser-Busch. It's not even one of those like craft breweries that was bought out. And it's right. Like, like, it's, it's, holy, it's Budweiser with craft it's, it's Budweiser craft beer. It's, this is, it's AstroTurf beer, right? It's AstroTurf beer, yes. Um, so anyway, I'm going to, I wanted to do, so I wanted to do the actual, I've never apparently properly enjoyed a shot top, so I'm going to see if this helps. So anyway, the instructions are, pour down side of glass until one half inch is left in bottle. Swirl and pour remaining brew to properly blend spices and release the aroma and flavor. Enjoy! So, here we go. This is live on video. My, 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 my face so, is, is firmly so, in my hand. So, and as you, you can see, I actually marked one half inch from the bottle. I want to cut from the bottom of the bottle so I can get this right. We really, so, need, to, we really need to do video stream next time. On this. Yes, because this is what the people need. So, while, 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 I'm, while I'm craftily putting together my beverage, what do you have for tonight? I, I have, um, I went back to the ballast point well, because right. why not? Uh, right. and, and so we've got the ballast point victory at sea, Imperial uh, Porter. Oh, very nice. Yes. Uh, it, it, I don't think I've had that one before uh, on the podcast. But if I have, uh, I also had a second beer, and it's it's waiting uh, for me later on. But the uh, the Crazy Train Black IPA will be the second. Oh, I that's very good. Yes. Okay, so we got down. Okay, so now, now the flaw in these instructions is that I pour down the side of the glass until one half inch is left in the bottle. Swirl and pour. I guess I don't have to wait. I guess it's just now. Do I swirl the bottle or am I swirling? The, this is very unclear. So I'm, I'm going to risk it and I'm going to swirl the bottle. And then pour. I, I think swirling the bottle makes sense at this point. All right. So let's okay. see. We're finishing off into my. My pint class that says uh, drink local beer. Irony. Yeah, um, you, you're, you're going to get thrown out of the union for this. Uh, so let's see. Release the aroma. Yep, there, it smells like beer. <laughs> Every time I do that, my wife makes me leave the room. <laughs> and, and the flavor. And, it's, and it tastes like beer. And now I can enjoy does it, here we go. Does it taste like the other shock tops that you've had? It tastes like every other shock top I've ever had. And now, I was actually thinking about this tonight. You know, I will mock shock top. You know, we can probably mock shock top and the blue moons and all that. But they actually, I think, serve a fairly good 
a gateway drug for people as they make a move from you know, a more mainstream beer into, let's say, uh, a Belgian white or the kind of like the more flavorful beers. Because they still basically taste like main beers, but I think they're a good kind of slow, you know, ease you into the more flavorful craft beers that we tend to drink. I think people get... They, they forget the point sometimes with this. I mean, there's two things. One of them is, like, hey, if you're, if you're really, truly married to the whole drink from local, non-corporately owned breweries, if, mm-hmm. that's your, if that's your thing, then absolutely, like, have at people who drink Shock Top or, or whatever. But if, if your thing is just don't drink watered-down swill... Uh, you know, basically, don't drink Miller Lite, don't drink Bud Light, like like stay away from like the American adjunct lagers. Then right. there's not, I, I don't see the problem with having somebody drink a Shock Top or having somebody mm-hmm. drink a Blue Moon or having somebody drink, um, you know, a Goose Island. Like, I mean, yes, they're owned by corporate megaliths. <laughs> I get that, but 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 they, they taste different and better. They, they are there beers that taste better than that? Sure, right. So, but that doesn't mean that the you know opening the American palate to tastes other than adjunct lager and and the very occasional stout is not a bad thing. Like I, I think that that's that sometimes gets lost in the craft beer argumentation. Absolutely, and, and I, I think I said this on an earlier episode. You know, it's kind of like the Sam Adams theory. Like now you can go into most bars anywhere and either get a Sam Adams, a Shock Top, a Blue Moon, something like that. And there's something to be said for having you know. That not it's not Labatt Blue and it's not Budweiser. It's just a little something, a little, a little more flavorful, a little better, and, and, and that's all good. So I will um, say, yeah, I mean, and I still think Bud Light and Labatt's and all those have had their place. Like mm-hmm. I, I had a couple of pictures of Bud Light this weekend because it was well, it was, it was ninety one there. I saw that. it was ninety one, and and it was Little Five, which you really need to come out and visit for Little Five. Okay. Like we need, to figure, five? we need to figure out a way to bring you out here uh, right. for that. But um, but the uh, you know, it's like it just made sense at that point, and it's like I don't want to drink a pitcher of, of craft beer. Or, or a pitcher of something heavy because that's man. I mean, a it's expensive, and b it doesn't fit the the moment. No, no. Uh, what, what is, is little five? The little five hundred. The, oh, the, okay. The world's greatest college weekend. Uh, yeah, sure. You're not familiar with this Oh God! You need to okay. You need to read about this. There was a movie made nominally about the the bike race that that little five centers around called Breaking Away. It's one of the greatest American sports movies. Um, you, this is this is your homework for this week is to do okay. a little, do a little bit of a deep dive into this. But it's okay. uh, it's it it is a, a bike race that's steeped in tradition. It's been running for sixty some years, um, sixty six, sixty seven years. Um, <laughs> but what's built up around it is actually it's actually two bike races, both a men's and a women's race. But what's built up around it is. Um, a week basically of, of like college debauchery. Like right, it's, it's sure. very, it's very much just a free for all party. And it was probably our best weather weekend for a little five week that we've had, at least in my memory, it was just delightful. It was in the uh-huh. seventies and eighties. So yeah, check it out. Um, anyway, we've, we've got topics. Actually, I, I solicited the audience for some topics. I've gotten, anything I've gotten several things. All right, let's and, do this. And I told All people, right. if, okay, you send me your topic. I'll spend at least a minute on it, and you will as well. And some of these I don't know if you'll necessarily have an answer for, 
but I hope that you do. That's so, never stopped me before, so let's do this. So we'll start with Zach Osterman, um, who's okay. a, a beat writer for the Indy Star. Um, <laughs> how, do, how does he get bees out from his porch? I mean, uh, um, like so, he, I can okay. tell you, he's got a he's got a he's got like a there's a retaining wall on the porch. It's not really a retaining wall, but it's like a you know brick wall. And there are there are like either bees or hornets living in a crevasse between the brick and the mortar, uh, and oh. it's big enough that they're crawling in and just staying there. So, what's the best way for him to get rid of those? Um, uh, I, I would assume an exterminator or some some, some, some professional. Let's assume but we're going we're going DIY here. You know, you want to. You know, I mean, I would I would want to do it myself. I'm sure he feels the same way. Yeah, I, I get any kind of infestation beyond stink bugs, and, and, and that's why I, I have a salary for professionals to do it. Some, Some sort of smoke, I would assume, but see, see, okay, showing my, 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 my lack of knowledge in B, um, I know the smoke could probably drive them away, but how do you kind of get them then to not come back? You would have to put something into the crevasse that would like either fill it in, like cock it up, or somehow fill it in that they couldn't get back. So I don't know if, if it's necessarily, I would assume it's a two-step process, or is there like a, I would oh, think it's a, a one-step thing? Well, I think it's like, I don't know if you can just drive them away. I think the problem is there's there's likely a colony in there of some okay. sort. So just driving them away, there's gonna still, they're going to come back. Um, okay. uh, you know, So you might have to exterminate them in the crevasse and then fill the crack up so that future uh, bugs okay. don't enter would be my guess, I think, at okay. this point. Um, and I, I'll, I'll look up exactly what the process... I, I think some kind of bug extermination liquid or gas or something maybe in that spot followed by a solid like cement uh on top of the crevasse might be the answer here. yeah I, I think that's probably a good move too and then you don't have the actual bees flying out which yeah. raises all sorts of issues this is why i did not get my phd in bee extermination which well, one of many reasons I did not get my PhD in. That would have been a hell of a dissertation, you know. I right. mean, that would have made my defense go a lot easier if I could have just unparked a bunch of bees in the room. <laughs> it certainly would have cut down on questions from outside the committee, right? <laughs> um, from uh, Eric Esterline from UF. Eric, hi there. Uh, why are NBA games not fun to watch until the fourth quarter, if at all? Hmm. Um, so I'm gonna actually. I don't agree with the premise of the question, uh, and I. There was a time that I did. Like, I would say from about 98 until about 09 or 2010, I found NBA games hard to watch. Um, and, and, and I think the games have gotten a lot better. And I think the problem sometimes, it depends on what your perspective. Like, a lot of times the people that don't like watching NBA games generally like watching college basketball instead. And so they're expecting some kind of a facsimile of the style of play, or at least the pace of play that you get on the college level. I think the thing to remember about NBA games that, that I try to remember when I'm watching them is that there's a there's a process that it's 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 a very it's a very strategic process. It's very regimented. It's it's all about player rotation. It's about managing minutes. It's about managing runs. It's about kind of trying to position yourself moving forward in the game. Um, sometimes that looks good and, and sometimes it doesn't. Like sometimes it ends up coming down to is, you know, are, are these teams mismatched? And I think the problem in the playoffs is, particularly in the first round, you get a lot of mismatched teams. Like, you know, frankly, the 
you know, I was reading something on 538. The first games of the first round of the NBA this year were the most lopsided first games of the NBA playoffs in NBA history. I saw that link, yeah. yeah. And that's a problem from the standpoint of those games are going to look bad. Now, I would say today's games have been um, okay. Like, the Pacers haven't been as competitive. They're going to lose the game today. But but the, the Mavericks actually led the Thunder going into the second quarter, which is certainly better than they looked uh, in the game one where they lost by, like, 900 points. So right. um, I, think, I think that um, it gets better as the teams get closer in talent, or at least in ability. But overall, I actually I don't find the games that bad to watch. I think it's just a matter of of readjusting your expectations for what you are going to see with NBA teams on the floor, as opposed to expecting something else. Right. I mean, you know, part of it you can always flip this question. You know, why is a base, uh, playoff baseball game not good to watch till the seventh inning? You know, because as the stakes rise, it gets more dramatic. Um, if it's a closer game where there's going to be a comeback, there tends to be that. That even more attention, you know, the fourth inning of a baseball game is no more exciting, no more boring or inherently exciting than, like, midway through the second quarter of an NBA playoff game. You know, part of it, I'm sure, like we've always talked about, is the comparison to college basketball. Um, part of it is um, the, the idea in the NBA, and I don't watch enough NBA to know if this is real or just the Dan Patrick line that I've stolen throughout the years, but everybody always makes a run. And so there, there are more, so it's less... Um, you know, a team could go up by 12 and you know that there's probably going to be a comeback or a bit of a run back into it. Um, it kind of takes away the emotion, the, the stake. But what I find funny about the NBA, and I watch incredibly little NBA, um, not out of any kind of hatred of the game, I just don't watch it. Um, and uh, I've always found that when I do watch an NBA game, the last, I was talking about how exciting the last few minutes are, I find them to be intolerable because there's a lot of it, it just feels much choppier than the end of a college game. And it's probably the shorter, shorter shot clock. It's probably the, the timeout move up to half court thing. Um, and I just, it, 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 you know, certainly there's, there, there's great drama, but I don't always feel that kind of inherent suck you in that a great like NCAA tournament game is based on just the, the way the, the flow of the game. Just all, in my mind, it always feels incredibly, incredibly choppy. The, the, the last few, the last few minutes of a lot of NBA games. Yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with that. And you know, look, I think a lot of it comes down to um, you have to almost get past the choppiness to to some degree. I think it's not. It's not as choppy as sometimes we think it is. I mean, the mm-hmm. last 30 seconds can be very choppy because that's when timeouts are being taken and balls are being advanced. But sure. uh, but I get what you're saying. I mean, and I, I will say that I, I do like the fact that, um, uh, you know, the, the college game doesn't necessarily feel that way. But frankly, um, the college game's kind of gotten that way. Like the number, oh, that, the number of timeouts oh, taken God. in the last yeah. minute and, and, you know, it's just like it's – it, the the line is no nowhere uh, close to as clean as it used to be between right. the two games from that perspective. Um, I'll buy that. Anyway, um, the next question that we had that I wanted to address was from uh, Mr. Loud Bristol himself. Uh, rank the seasons. Oh, uh, I've, I've given this a lot of thought. Okay. Okay. So I'm ranking now. You can only rank the seasons based upon I think where you live slash have lived. Okay. So I so I'm ranking it. This is. Uh, a Western Central New York ranking. Okay. So number one is fall. 
And this, this is, is like Golden State, State Warriors run away with the title. Fall by far and away is the number one season. Easily, 100%. Number two is summer. And the summer is actually... Summer period is kind of... I, I guess, you know, it, it follows the Warriors. I would argue that summer up in central and western New York is like the Spurs this year. Very good. Very, very warm. Very, very enjoyable. Um... I'm going to go, I'm going to go three as winter. Um, you know, our winters can be, can be fierce up here, but, you know, you, you expect that in western central New York. Snow does not surprise you. Um, every now and then you'll get a mild winter like we had now, and it, it, it's a bonus. Um, winter has Christmas, which is a very, you know, which is the peak holiday. And, and number four is spring, and I would rank it five if I could come up with another season because I hate spring so much. I think it is horribly overrated. Uh, it, it just fills me with dread of like forty degree rainy, half snowy days throughout March, from March through the end of April. So uh, fall, summer, winter, spring. Okay, I'll go summer one. Because it's warm, and I like warm, and it's consistent, and I like consistent, and that's all I have to say about that. Uh, I'll take spring, too, because it's, it's a building of optimism throughout the course of the season. It, it makes oh, you, don't buy into the narrative. You're an analytics guy. Don't buy the narrative. Look at the data. It's, I, I do look at the data. The, 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 it gradually gets warmer. I mean, like, that's... We have... We have several, like, millions of years of Earth's, uh, you know, weather, meteorological history backing me up on this. I feel confident in my conclusions. Um, winter is third because winter, while it sucks, is at least consistent in its suckitude. And, sure. and fourth is fall. Because everything dies in the fall gradually. It's not like it, it's not like you wake up one day and everything's dead. But like you you gradually have to watch things that were green and living <laughs> wither away to brown death. And uh, and I just I can't I just I can't, my soul can't take it. It just can't right. take it. All right. So so, so this, this is an important question. question I think is I have only been, been in Indiana twice in my life once in no more than twice in my life poor guy do you guys what kind of uh, uh foliage do you get in the like leaf colors do you get in the fall oh we get all kinds of leaf colors oh you do okay oh yeah okay. we have we have some of the best foliage you should see my foliage i mean really uh, <laughs> my, my foliage is outstanding um we get uh we affect brown county which is adjacent to monroe county where iu is located is, is, I'd say, known throughout the Midwest for having uh, some of the most beautiful foliage in the entire region. Um, I could give a crap if, if trees change colors because they all eventually just turn brown and the leaves fall off the tree and then they're gone for like five months. It's awful. See, see here's what's backing me up on, 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 on your everything is death and life is terrible nihilism toward the seasons is that what we, you get the double boost. Uh, as, as, as the seasons change and then it comes into winter, you get the double boost of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving and Christmas back to back to kind of boost your spirits through that first part of it. So you get fall, which is wonderful and, and, and a perfect season because you have, you still have the last remnants of summer weather at the beginning of it. And then it goes into the pleasantness of like the 40 to 60 degree days, which are perfect for being outside, perfect for doing stuff. You've got football on Saturdays, you've got football on Sundays. The sports calendar is just turning on. And 
And then as it starts to get cold and as, and, and, and as your soul starts to die, not as much as yours, but somebody says, you get Thanksgiving, and then you get Christmas, and then you get the double dose, and then you're into winter, and you know you just hold on through the grim death of the spring until it's warm enough to be summer again. I, mean, do, I think we're gonna have to agree to this. I mean, I will say this: your 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 commentary on where you live making a difference is very much the case. I will say, when I lived in Miami, my least favorite season was summer because, my God, you should go experience a summer in Miami. It is no, it is a no. different level of of unbearable. Um, and then winter was my second least favorite, and then. Um, my favorite was probably spring in Miami and then fall would have been my second season there. So sure. it's, uh, it is very much dependent on where you're at, but I can say in Indiana fall. Now, you know what? I say that. And my wife, who's also almost a lifelong Indiana resident grew up here. Fall is by far her favorite season. So it's, yes. it's yes. Much, of it, like much of it is she, and her big thing is because she, she has terrible allergies in the spring, and they don't really exist yes. in the fall. Yes. So, but I don't really get allergies until this year. Like several times over the course of the last two weeks, I thought I was going to die because I just couldn't breathe. Um, the, trees, the trees are just ganging up on the world this year and making life hellish. Right. It's, it's been really bad. I agree. Uh, okay. Next question. Um, let's see. <laughs> this is from Adam Cohen. What would be the next logical addition of a bar in Bloomington? Uh, oh, I have a lot to say about this. I said a, <laughs> a new building at the location of House Bar. So um, Bloomington's got many bars, and uh, they had a there was a bar once on one of the main roads, and it was called House Bar, and it was literally just a house that they had converted into a bar, and and like it looked like something out of like a seedy neighborhood in New Orleans where you weren't sure if you were going to get served or shivved, um, and so. Um, what would be the next logical addition? I, I guess he means from a geographical location. Um, I, I'll say this. I, I think that, um, you know, if you and you you've never been to Bloomington, which is something that we have to remedy, obviously. Right. Um, I, it, it's probably not plausible, but I think a bar in uh, in uh, Crosstown Plaza, which is basically north of Teeter Quad on 10th Street. That would be a, a, a great spot. They'd never do it because the only thing around there is dorms. But uh, I feel like um, it, it's, it's an underserved part of the city, unfortunately. The other option would be an actual bar uh, where Bear's Place is located, which Bear's Place is a bar technically, but it's, it's not a favorite of mine. I would like to see something else there. Um, or at least something in that general vicinity. So that would be All my right. two options. I'm, I'm again, do you have an answer on this one that you'd like to share uh, with the I, audience? Uh, well, I, I, you, know, you want to just call up a map and like you know throw a dart? Well, no, <laughs> no location is going to speak to you. I was just going to suggest that Wilmington needs a good tiki bar. A tiki bar. Well, okay. Well, no, I mean, you know what? We we just got our first outdoor beer garden here. Like last Whoa, week. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's hot. All right. So a tiki bar would be, I think, a good a good move. I, I like that. So a tiki bar somewhere just south of campus, maybe, would be yes. the best shot for. It. I like that. Okay. Perfect. Uh, so no, we actually, while you're looking at Twitter, actually, there, there's somebody posted on Facebook. Oh, good. Right. This, and it was from uh, Ben Hessler. Oh, yo, and, uh, ben, Ben's in my class. All right, so uh, his uh, sucking up to the professor, very yeah. nice. Home run record chasing Orioles. Yeah, he's convinced that the Orioles are going to chase 
uh, and and catch the home run record. He was explaining this philosophy to me in class last week. Okay. Um, I think you know. Hmm, I, I'm, I'm caught trying to fake this. Um, <laughs> I you know they're obviously hitting home runs at a great at, at a great pace. Um, they're yeah, I got it. <laughs> uh, go uh, okay. I'll, 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 I'll say this: of any team in that division that can really chase the home run record, it's going to be Toronto's. Got to be the odds-on favorite. The way they match the ball. Um, of anybody. Um, I don't know what kind of hitters park Camden Yards is, either traditionally or now. Right. Um, so I think that, that that runs into them. You've got some, I mean, that's, that's, that's such an interesting division because you've got, you've got team, you've, I'm not saying it's a particularly strong division, but it has the potential to have, you know, for, you know, any team can be good. There's a lot of parity in it, so I... I don't know. I I, 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 don't, I don't see them putting together that consistent run for a long time. I mean, they've hit 23 home runs so far on the season. Um, mm-hmm. Their opponents have hit seven, and, and you know you can kind of pick and choose throughout Major League Baseball and look at other teams. Like like Washington's only hit 13 home runs. Uh, Toronto, okay. who you just mentioned, has only hit 14. Okay. Home runs. Uh, you know, Colorado, who's obviously in a home run hitting sort of park, has hit 23 home runs. Um, so I don't – I agree. I, I think that we're jumping the gun a little bit here, thinking that the Orioles are going to, like, break the home run record as a team. But, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the, you know, the, the season – the single season home run record um, is – what is it now? Um the 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 most home runs in a single season by a team in the AL was mm-hmm. uh, Seattle from 1997 who who hit oh, wow. 264. All right, home that runs. was uh, Griffey Jr. A Rod Edgar. I think that's correct. Yes. So so the Orioles have hit 23 uh, so far on the season, and, and so far on the season. The uh, the Orioles have played eleven games, so they're they're no longer on pace. Uh, if they hit, uh, well, no, I guess they would be on pace, wouldn't they? Um, they're they're close to on pace to to get close to the record. But again, it's a long season. I would be surprised if it all worked out for them in the long run. But we'll see. Right. Yeah. And let's not forget that Tuffy Rose was once on pace to hit four hundred and eighty six home runs in a season. Good old Tuffy. <laughs> um, let's jump to the next question. Yes. Here. So, um, <laughs> uh, someone wanted me to mention uh, the cold night in Stoke phenomenon. Are you familiar with this? Nope. Okay. Uh, are Are you familiar at all with the Premier League? Yes. Okay. So you're aware Stoke plays in the Premier League? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is soccer. Yeah. This is soccer. Yes. <laughs> uh, good. That's good. I like that. Um, so. Um, there was a. I was looking this up earlier uh, because uh, Tottenham, which is the team that I support, um, the uh, they were playing at Stoke, and someone mentioned it was going to be a, a potentially a cold, rainy night in Stoke. And apparently, I didn't realize this, but this originated from a, a discussion back in like like five or six years ago involving Andy Gray, who's a, a commentator of soccer in, in England, and someone asked him about uh, Lionel Messi, who's, you know, you know, probably the best player in the world. It's either him or, or Cristiano Ronaldo. And Gray made the statement that, you know, he thought Messi was a great player, 
but that while he scored it, you know, at will basically in La Liga, which is, you know, where Barcelona, which is his team, is located, that's the Spanish league, he would struggle to score against teams uh, in, in the English Premier League uh, because, you know, teams in La Liga don't have to go to Stoke on a cold, rainy night. Uh, so, you know, the, basically the concept being, well, he, he's doing it in Spain where the conditions are perfect, but he couldn't do it on a cold night in Stoke, which is kind of silly because Stoke isn't that difficult of a place to play. But it's become this meme, basically, within the Premier League. Anytime somebody does anything that's, like, out, you know, extraordinary, it's like, yes, but they, could they do it on a cold night in Stoke? Um, so I, I, two things. First of all, is is that the, the dumbest logic you've ever heard, or is it just in the top three? Um, and, and, and second, can you? What is the American version of a cold night in Stoke? Oh, I like this. A cold night. So it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely not the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's um, good. I don't know if it's top, even even the top three. I mean, it, it's 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 pretty good, but you know, it's a dumb thing. Um, I, I remember I did I did one study where I did nothing but read internet comments about the Bernie Fine story. So my my level for dumb comments is my bar is really high. That's a fair um, point. Um, all right, so American. Uh, American version of a cold night in Stoke. Like what? What would be like the place that people point, or the the place or thing or or whatever that people point to, and it's like that's you know that's 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 beyond the pale. Like nobody can handle that, or you know, like like that's the proving ground. Like unless you do it there, um, right? Yeah. Um. Let's see. Um. Yeah, I, I can't think of a, I, I don't know if I can think of a place that kind of would hold that. Okay. You know, the, the closest thing I can think of is like, you know, the, the, the kind of mainstream sports media talking head of, well, you didn't do it in the finals, you didn't do it, you know, can you, can you do it in the playoffs, can you lift the team to the victory yourself kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but that's a person, that's not like a place, like. I, I, I guess maybe, I don't know, but the closest thing would be like old Yankee Stadium, you know, back when, um, back before the Red Sox, back, I, back when. Uh, yeah, I think you're on the right. Maybe, I think you're on the right maybe track. That, I think maybe you're, the old forum, you know, a lot of the problem is a lot of these places, you know, a lot of the real great places no longer exist, like the old forum, maybe. I, I, I think you're in Montreal. I think you're on the right track, but I think you got the wrong arena. I think the answer is Madison Square Garden. Uh, the world's most famous arena, because, trademark. You know, anything that happens in basketball, it's like, yes. well, you know, it, you know, like it's got to happen at Madison Square Garden, or it's like a player. It's like you know, you know, like LeBron. Like the whole idea of him signing with the Knicks was, you know, well. You know, He'll play in Madison Square Garden. Like he would choose to do that because, do, like, doing it there means you've accomplished something of a higher level of consciousness because you did it at Madison Square Garden. Like something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, and that's and that's well, it's good. Yeah, it's good because it's really kind of almost got to be an unearned building. Like the old Yankee Stadium, yes, great. You know, all the great teams play there, same as the Forum. But but, but you know, the Knicks, Knicks have stunk for a really long time, or they've not been. You know, they, they've had, like, peace and values. They have not been, you know, it's not like the Yankees or the Canadians where they had so much tradition that even in their lean years, they could kind of, they, they could kind of lean on that. And, yeah, they, you know, they're riding the ghost of Willis Reed for a long time. So I think you're onto something with the garden. I think that's pretty good. Let's, let's jump to the next question. Um, yeah. One-way streets, are they actually better at managing traffic? Huh. 
I mean, I have a lot to say about traffic circles and roundabouts, but I've never really thought about this for one-way streets. Um, I, I mean, I'll say this. Whenever I play Cities Skylines on, on my computer, which if you haven't played Cities Skylines, it's it's a great city simulator. It's better okay. than... It's better than the last crap itineration of SimCity that, that EA put out. Um, okay. But um, they, they, they seem very committed to the one-way streets, and they do seem to route traffic uh, a bit better. Uh, you know, those, this, this came from Tim Byrne, who uh, is also a former uh, IU student. And we have a, a contentious relationship with the one-way streets here. Like uh, many of our, major, our two major north-south streets are one way each like one direction one way the okay. other uh and then uh of, of like the three major east west roads uh or the four major east west roads two of them are one way going one direction to the other so right. now have they always been one way or are they recent changes um they the the ones that go through downtown have been one way for I think several decades. Like goes okay. certainly going back to the sixties. Walnut Street and College Avenue have been one way, I, I believe at least since the, the late fifties or early sixties. I I'm I, I'm not sure about Atwater and Third. They're, those are the East West roads, but they've been that way for a while. To the point that I can never remember any of those streets not being one way um, each the directions that they're currently in. So, because I, I, I guess the other the question that I would raise on this is, were they are they are they contentious now because IU and Bloomington has grown and there's much there's more traffic and more people on there than when like in the six, like 30, 40 years ago the one way made perfect sense and wasn't a deal and now that there's more traffic it is. No, I think they're contentious because they're confusing. Like oh. I mean, I've lived I've lived in Bloomington for for many years now i get it now like i get i get i I don't have to think about the one-way streets and where they go but but you know a lot of times people are only here four years or you know maybe two years if you're in grad school Mm -hmm. uh and that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense like what goes what way gotcha yeah that's the 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 problem tends to arise from kind of that sense of logic like that's the great thing about the manhattan grid right is that once you once you kind of understand that it's a grid it makes perfect sense and it kind of makes absolute sense and you can logically piece it together even if you get turned like i would always used to be scared of driving manhattan then i realized wait if it's a a grid if i get lost i just you know go down and you do a loop and you're able to kind of get back to where you were easily as opposed to boston which is it's just like driving in hyperglyphics. I don't understand how one drives in Boston. Um, that the one the one place I've gotten lost the longest was Boston. I remember yep, trying, to, yes. trying to find a house in Watertown, and I, I literally drove in circles for forty five minutes and couldn't figure out why I was driving in circles. <laughs> it took you thirty five just to realize you were going in a circle. Kind of, yes. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's it is funny to me, like. You know the because like Rome is like that, and a lot of Italian cities are built like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like how how transportation not on a grid system was considered just like the norm. Like I can't I can't grasp how people dealt with that effectively at all. And maybe they didn't. Maybe they just didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, maybe we're strange for wanting to use the roads. Uh, you know, in a systematic manner. Um, but it is interesting to like watch the process of, of, of streets. And, you know, I think the one way street is an interesting development because 
it does make some sense as long as there are, um, you know, reasons for having it the way that it is. Like I do sure. think in Bloomington, like a lot of the one-way streets do make some sense. And, you know, they tend to act more as like side streets rather than as main avenues. And I, and I so I think okay. that, I think they do help to manage traffic in that they keep people on the main avenues because generally speaking, at least in, in smaller cities, and it's not as, as much the case in, in a place like New York, uh, but in the smaller cities especially, um, I think you're going to be, you're not going to want to get on a one-way street unless you have a reason to get on the one-way street, and that right. does help some. Sure. Um, the, the, the trend around here is that we live in a much more rural, suburban, suburban slash rural area, um, is especially out, out kind of in the country out here, is the traffic circles at um, right around about I don't know if you're a traffic circle, how you refer to them out there. Traffic yeah, circles around roundabouts, yeah. Roundabouts, okay. Um, and, 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 they, and they've been putting them in on, on, the, on the intersections of like county highways where there are traditionally a lot of, a lot, like a lot of nasty wrecks you get through. Like they were either four-way stops or two-way stops and, you know, just, you know, really bad accidents. And they started, and so like you'll be out driving out and, through farmland, headed down south toward the Finger Lakes, and all of a sudden you're in a, in a traffic circle and going around the loop there. And I personally love them. I think they're incredibly well. Again, kind of once you understand like the the basic mechanic of it, it's really, really almost delightful. I mean, it's just nice to drive through. It, 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 it's um, it, it does cut down on those on, on those awkward intersections and. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, except for the one, they put one in downtown Binghamton right before we moved out of there, which made absolutely no sense, except they wanted to put a roundabout in there. Right. Uh, but otherwise, you know, um, yeah, so, so, you know, the, 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 the country road roundabout, I think, is, it, 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 it is an overall positive. I mean, we have roundabouts not on country roads here. We have them, um, although they're not generally in the midst of, of, of heavily populated areas, but they're kind of in those in-between areas where, you know, you've got like a, a subdivision and some traffic on a regular basis, and then you've got the roundabout. Yeah, I don't mind them. I mean, you know, I, 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 I've always, been, there's, there's, I've always wondered about why driving proclivities in the U.S. and in England developed it's sometimes it, it like, uh, you know, obtuse angles to one another, you know, I mean, because it's like yeah. in, in England, they've had roundabouts for a long time and it, they just weren't a thing, frankly, in the U.S. Um, but they've got roundabouts in Italy. I drove in Italy a few years ago and it was the same sort of thing, um, you know, so it's like, why didn't we have those? Um, and and I, I don't have a good answer for them. I don't find them difficult to drive through. I think people might have initially had some issues with driving yeah. in them here, but that seems to have gone away relatively quickly. That's true. Have you ever read the book Traffic? Who wrote it? Let me find it. Was this uh, was this was this the thing that was made into a movie by Steven Soderbergh? No, 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 no. This is about actual traffic. Oh, okay. Uh, traffic. Why we drive the way we do and what it says about us. It's a book by Tom Vanderbilt. I've never read this. Uh, I'll put it. I'll put it in show notes. It's kind of. Uh, it, it can kind of veer into a little bit into the Gladwellian, turns out, uh, level of book. But it is also interesting, kind of like how it, it talks a lot about, uh, like, the first chapter is about merging and how, like, the proper way to merge when, you know, construction is closed down two lanes into one. 
and uh, the, like, the smartest way to merge. So what kind of merger per- merge person are you? Are you an early or late merger? In the roundabout? No, 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 no. Like, okay, you're driving down, let's say, a two-lane, a two-lane road, and you see the traffic starting to back up because they have the left lane closed for left lane closed to half oh. Oh. So you're going, you're going two lanes into one. I, I generally, so, I, I go early. I don't, I don't. Oh, oh you're that guy. guy. Well, yes. I okay. Here's the way I look at it. I, I've gone late at times. I just, to me, it's like okay. You can see that the road is going to narrow to one lane. Like right. the most traffic snarls in America are based entirely on two things. I think. One is people being assholes by by doing things late. The other is people being stupid and like just not recognizing the situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. So I right, I, so I choose I, I choose to do neither of those things. Gotcha. I, I, I usually I have become after reading this and this book actually become a late merger because that's like if you stay in the, in, in the left lane till till it closes and you merge over. Now, the idea behind it is, of course, if everyone does that, it goes smoothly. Now, of course, you get not people like yourself, but other people who, like, at the first sign of something, stop in the left lane and wait till somebody gets over, and then it gets backed up. And uh, the other day, we were driving somewhere down here. We were driving 490, which is one of the highways heading into downtown Rochester. And uh, it was that situation where it's like two-lane highway, left lane closed ahead. People are merging way below, way before my wife is driving. She's a late merger too. Waiting, 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 and it turns out the lane was never closed. So we just got to, we, we never had the merge and got to stay in our lane and get, go by all the people who merged. So that kind of, uh, that was like vindication for our, for our practice there. But the book is actually really interesting. It does talk a lot about driving patterns and about um, like road construction and like kind of how how we drive and like how um, like we as a society drive in our relationship to road construction and all that. It's a really good read, so I'll put that in the notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. I'm always interested in those yeah. sorts of things. But uh... Uh, there we go. There it is. All right. Any more questions? This has been good. We need to do this more often. I know. Got to got to leverage the audience, you know. Absolutely. Um, no, I I can't think of, of any. I don't have any other questions uh, that that are waiting okay. for me. I, I think that was a good speed round, and it was. Um, you know, look, I I think I think it's important to tackle life's issues, even when life's issues are sometimes just kind of randomly thrown at you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I'm glad that I could help Bloomington's bar situation with what you guys need. I felt like I've really helped you guys out, and that's really important. Yes. Um, well, there was a question from Andrew Smith that I forgot to get to. Okay. Um, he wanted us to talk about our favorite diner. Our favorite. Oh, oh, this is this this, this is important. Are we going current or all time? Uh, again, I've, I've given this a lot of thought. I think you so. should just go go with what you feel like is best. <laughs> so, so a diner is it is just an absolute critical part of kind of any you know of, of life. You know, you the, the good diner. You know, so what makes a good diner? You know. Breakfast 24-7 or breakfast at all hours, I think, is, is critical. You can't have a diner where they stop serving breakfast at, like, 11 o'clock. That's just that, that's, that's not cutting it. Um, um, I, I think just, you know, the good variety of So 
good diner. Uh, let's see, some Hall of Fame diners I've had. Uh, my our current diner is uh, Ricky's Family Restaurant, RIKI's in Fairport. When you come up to visit us in Rochester someday, yes. we'll do breakfast there. Really, really good. Um, and uh, let me make sure I'm getting the name right of the diner we used to go to in Binghamton. I believe it's this one, but I want to make sure that I'm, not, I'm giving the right one. Um, because that uh, is the Park Diner in, in Binghamton, and that is on Conklin Avenue, if you're going through. It's right on overlooking the Susquehanna River, best known for flooding the hell out of Binghamton twice while I lived there. Yeah. Um, but a really, really scenic uh, scenic overview. It looks over, part, over the river, kind of like the little, little natural rapids that they have there. Um, all around, very, very good. Park Place Diner uh, up, up by, uh, down near Canandaigua, New York, another great one. Um, just so yeah, I mean the the breakfast twenty four seven good toast can always lift or lift or raise a diner breakfast by by an important factor. I think that's good. Um, so I don't know. What do you, what do you look for in a diner? Whew. Um, I look for in a diner uh, a place that does at least some element of two different types of meals well. Okay. Um, like so. Uh, like good breakfast, but also like a good hamburger. Yes, yes. Uh, or like a, a good open face turkey sandwich with the with, with something, gravy. Something like table. that. Yes. So, so my favorite. I'm I'm relying on nostalgia here because it's not the same as it used to be, and I also actually I don't even know what they serve now. I've been back in years, but uh, but it's it's the the triple X in in West Lafayette, Indiana. Um, it, it wait, was, wait, wait, wait! Are you guy picking, picking a Purdue place? place? Uh, keep in mind, I grew up in West Lafayette. I oh, went to high school okay. there. Like, I okay. mean, you know, all loyalties aside, I, I mean, it's where I was. Fair. It was, um, you know, and it, it was the original drive-in in Indiana. Right. Like, you know, we have dog and suds here, but this, this, do you have dog and suds in in mm-hmm. Central New York? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say dog and suds? I'm going to assume, assume there's hot dogs, dogs and beer involved. It's kind of like you know what you, you ever been to a Sonic? Oh yeah. It's like imagine if Sonic didn't suck, okay. and then, and like like imagine the exact opposite. Like imagine if the food was really good. Like that would huh. be dog and suds. But but right. but this place was was a drive-in before uh, dog and suds became a thing here in Indiana. Um, okay. But and, and even when they went away from the drive-in concept, um, you know it was always a great place. It was open twenty-four hours. Uh, great burgers. Their their breakfasts were were on point, as the kids say, and. <laughs> You know, they, they, they just, and it was just the typical, like, you know, all the people that worked there were kind of like, you know, recalcitrant towny types. Uh, I also think that there has to be something like that. Like to me, like the best diners have some kind of cultural tension inherent in them where it's like, um, one, one, one class of people, or maybe one, like one historical cultural group works here and other people come and eat here. All right. Uh, like yeah. I think I think that adds uh, a level of 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 culinary excitement to the process that wouldn't be there otherwise. There's got to be a certain level of if you're not you know you, you know a good diner will always kind of make you feel welcome, but there's always got to be that certain level of you seeing the owner and the waitresses talk to the locals, and you kind of have that I don't belong here. I, they know I'm not. I'm not, a, I'm not a regular type deal. You gotta have that. that I, I, I kind of view it as a clear distinction between the regular every day or every Sunday after church people and then everyone else. And I feel like, yeah, I, I, I kind of see that tension and, and like that too. So, um, 
Yeah. We had I mean, a place, we had a place in town called Wee Willies. It was it was a breakfast place. I don't think they served food out uh, outside of breakfast, but it was a it was a it was a cash only. Uh, it was a dynamite uh, place, and then the kitchen manager died, and they just shut it down. Uh, <laughs> so like a, a cultural institution was was laid to waste, unfortunately. Uh, so, so we are so, so we're done. So once, once that, that guy goes, like we're done here. We yeah. we can do no more. So. Yeah, basically. So, so before, before we pull, can I can I uh, mention one thing that my sister's doing um, as, a, as a fundraising thing? Please. So my sister Amy um, is a she covers hockey for the Buffalo News. She did some Sabres coverage, some college hockey coverage. She is actually doing. Uh, she's also an endurance athlete. She's a marathon athlete. By the way. Big props to our uh, our friend Matt Zimmerman finishing the uh, Star Wars half marathon down at Disney World this past weekend. Oh, good for um, Matt! Yeah. Uh, anyway, my sister she does uh, mar- marathons, triathletes, that kind of thing. She her racing season this year. She's using to uh, raise money for Carolyn's House, which is in Niagara Falls, and it is a home for homeless women and children. So it kind of helps homeless women and children kind of get back on their feet after leaving a domestic violence situation or something like that and kind of helps them kind of almost like almost like a way station to kind of get them help get them back on their feet my sister's doing two marathons this year and a half marathon and kind of raising money throughout to do that so i will throw a link in show notes for that to donate um she's doing a donation through uh you caring uh a bunch of other fundraisers and i wanted to give a shout out because it's very cool and she's my sister and she's awesome so great that's that's my i this is me clapping in in positive reinforcement of that positive message all right uh so and and the the big news on on our part along with being on itunes as of today we are available on stitcher radio that's uh you can find us there uh stitcher radio the app search for us the flip side uh, you, I'll post the, the links will be available on our Twitter feeds and on the blog at sportsmediaguy.com. Click on the flip side link. We are episode fourteen. We we um, have we have more regular listeners than the amount of um, of pennies that you could buy a share of Salon dot com for. Right <laughs> oh great! So that means we're gonna have to have a Salon take a slate take of our show next week. Why, 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 why the flip side isn't a flip or the side? Um, I also have, I also have for show notes uh, my my second mix. Uh, we did mixtapes last week. I have week two's mix on here featuring the new single from the Avett Brothers, uh, which is incredibly, incredibly fun, incredibly good. I highly recommend that. Do you have a week two mix to put up? I, I do have a week two mix, uh, and I will. Uh, I'll actually drop that uh, in. In the chat to you here, because I forgot to do this, but uh, the, my this week two mix actually is a is a very eclectic mix. Uh, everything from um, Skip Spence to uh, LCD Sound System to uh, JJ Kale to Jeff Simmons uh, <clears throat> to John Lennon to Blondie. So uh, nice. there's there's some things in this. Yeah. I- I just, just sent that to you, sir. Beautiful. Got it. That'll be in show notes. Awesome. So, well, good awesome. stuff. Uh, any final thoughts? Um, no, I think we helped out a lot of people this weekend. I do like this kind of format. We may have to keep keep this up or experiment, with it. experiment out with this. This was a lot of fun to do, I think. It's like, you know, it's like the flashback episode of a good 
like you know 80s drama or sitcom where like they're like we you know what we're not going to shoot any new scenes this week <laughs> we're just going to show you shit that happened three years ago on the show like those are i was those episodes are oh, great. The, the, the clip shows were the best i love a good clip because of course they don't, they don't have, have them anymore because right? i mean it was because back then you know you 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 weren't taping the show, so it's like, oh, I remember this vaguely. This is cool to see. But but then when you thought about it, you're like, I just got ripped off. Like, that was an hour of time that they just – it wasn't really me that got ripped off. It was the advertiser because the advertiser was paying right. money for, like, an original show, and you just repackaged right. stuff that you did before. Right. And, yeah. So, so, so we, we begin, begin with the 80s and we end with the 80s, as we always should. It's, so. it's, it's, it is ground zero for most of the flip side. Anyway, yeah. all right. <laughs> uh, for Brian Moritz, I'm Galen Clavio. Uh, as always, folks, you can catch us on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can plug us into your, uh, your podcasting receiving software if you have something other than those things. And uh, we're, we'll be back next week, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. So long, everybody. See ya. See ya.